0: This is J.G. Hertzler, General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to
1: Trek FM.
0: Hello, and welcome to Season 7, Episode 5 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike i'm john and today is part five in our series on simon Pegg, looking at his uh writing efforts for the big screen and today we're gonna take a look at his fourth movie paul so this movie came out in 2011 and so i guess that would be like three years after almost exactly three years after run fat boy run uh Simon Pegg co-wrote it with Nick Frost, his uh his old pal from the Cornetto trilogy. Uh, but not his old writing pal from the Cornetto trilogy, so that's kind of a twist on things. Yep. Um it's produced by like the same producer Nera Park and everything. you know, like a lot of the the people behind the scenes, like in terms of the company and everything like that, were very much the same um British company that uh produced the Cornetto trilogy. However, um, the director of the movie was Greg Matola, who is probably best known as the director of Superbad, yeah. but he is also known, um, probably should be more known, uh, as a, a director on Arrested Development, the television show from... The early aughts and oh, I guess all brilliant television
1: show from the early aughts. Yeah, one of the funniest shows you'll ever watch. It's it's it's
0: pretty great, you know. And because he was involved, he brought in a lot of people from sort of that world. You know, um, Seth Rogen is is the uh, third star, along with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. But then you've also got a couple of Arrested Development alum, alumni, alumna, uh, Jason alums. Bateman, alums. Yes. Yeah. There you go. I never know what, which <laughs> gender, cause it's like gender specific. And uh, well, alumni plural.
1: is, uh, female alumnus is male alumni is, uh, is plural male. alumna is singular female. I took five years of Latin. So, okay, but, um, people usually shorten it to alums when they're talking about something that's uh, that's of mixed uh company and because no one knows what they're actually supposed to say <laughs> i know <laughs> and it's my mission in life to go around and explain this esoteric latin rule to everyone excellent a- a- alumna is your aspect ratio is your 239 <laughs> <laughs> yes it is yes it uh- is
0: yeah, um, so because of that, yeah, there were a number of people like Jason Bateman, Jeffrey Tambor, and and, and those people. Kristen Wiig is in it, and Bill Hader, and those guys. Yeah. So so it's kind of a, a, a collision of worlds, you know? It's East meets West, or West meets further West. I don't know <laughs> what it would be, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, you want to... Kind of give a plot synopsis of this.
1: Uh, two nerds meet an alien, and along the way, zaniness ensues as they're chased by government agents. That's pretty much it. It's pretty yeah. much it. It's a it's a road
0: trip movie with an alien and uh, all the stuff that goes along with that. So um, yeah, what what are your your thoughts on the movie?
1: Well, um, I'm going to turn it back around on you because okay. uh, I. I want to ask instead, because I, I know this is a spoiler for everyone, you spoiled this in the Babel Conference, you like the movie. I do like the movie.
0: Why? Why do I like the movie? I like the movie for a lot of reasons. Um, one reason is because I just think it's absolutely hysterical. I mean, I, I saw this movie when it came out, and I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those movies which, you know, there's some things where even though you really like them, just either because no one else is talking about it or whatever, it just kind of falls off to the side and you forget about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and when it came out on video, I got it and I, I like I wanted to show it to my wife and, you know, I watched it with her. And again, I really liked it. But again, it just kind of fell out of my consciousness. Right. And sure. this is only the third time that I've seen it, and this time I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I, I knew that I liked it, but I I really love this movie now. And, I mean, part of it is that I was just sitting there, like, laughing my ass off, which is something that I don't do. You know, usually it's just kind of like, ha, 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 no, that's good, you know, polite okay. chuckle. If I'm by myself, I'm not laughing. And I'm sitting, you know, in my in my living room at, you know, like two o'clock in the morning just going like, blah, ha, 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 at everything. And I think a lot of the reason is because it really seems to speak to me, you know, in a lot of, uh, in a similar way that, you know, like Kevin Smith movies speak to me, you know, Clerks in particular, you know, where mm-hmm. it was like, when I saw that when I was, you know, uh, in high school, I was like, this is this is me. This is what I do, and these are the conversations that I have with my friends. And you know, it, it really feels like this person gets me, and th- these are like the same people that I am in a sense, and and I can relate to them in a level that is very very specific, and one which is you don't usually see in in the media, in mainstream media, and I kind of got that same impression here. I mean, these guys are total nerds. And from the very first frame, you see them at Comic-Con. And even though I've never been to San Diego Comic-Con, like, I felt like this is authentic in the sense of a broad comedy, you know, I mean, this Mm -hmm. is a very broad comedy. Um, But there was sort of this reality to it, you know, I mean, like, you, you look at You look at the IMDB and it says like languages and it lists English and Klingon. (laughs) It's like, you know, like that type of thing where like they're talking and Klingon to each other. Like that specifically is something where like my wife is constantly saying like we need to learn Klingon so that we can have conversations about people while we're uh, right in front of them and they won't know what we're saying. (laughs) You know? <laughs> okay, and, and it's like, yeah. they, these guys actually did that, you know, and, and I mean, all that stuff, uh, you know, I, I thought was really cool. And, you know, I think that in addition to being extremely funny, uh, it's it also has uh, it, it's it's a really strong satire of America from, you know, this outside, you know, British perspective. And that just amused me to no end as well. So yeah, I I I love this movie more than most people. I mean, I think that it's better than anything else that that Simon Pegg has done, and I know people think that I'm crazy for saying
1: that, but that's okay, you know. I see the thing is, I don't think you're crazy for saying that. Uh because <laughs> I I track with you. I follow everything that you're saying. However, my reaction is decidedly different. Okay. Fair um, enough. I love the opening. I agree with you. The opening and the ending, the 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 framing of it with Comic Con is great. Jeffrey Tambor's appearance is—I fan- mean, that guy is like—he just has to walk on screen, and I start giggling because I think he's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I've loved him since The Ropers. And uh, look, go ahead and look that one up, kids. Yeah. it was a very <laughs> short-lived is, spin-off <laughs> show. Oh, yeah. Do you remember Three's Company? Yeah, oh. yeah. There was a spin-off, The Ropers. Okay, okay. And yeah, he yeah. was—he was the uh, the real estate agent that was constantly trying to get them out. Uh, okay. because he hated them. I remember hearing about this. I've never actually seen it. I have no idea if they've ever even put it out on disc or streaming or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, I remember watching it. Uh, so I love Tambor. Uh, I was overall disappointed with the movie um, because I I felt that there, it lacked focus. I felt that if it had... Uh, Dropped some of its more extraneous jokes. And even, and I know how this will sound, but it's not meant to be the curmudgeonly uh, sort of guy. But there's a way to use cursing that will make me laugh. And there's a way where I will feel that it's sort of lazy. And I felt that the F bomb was used in the movie it, leaning toward the lazy. Um where I, I felt that they they used it when it didn't add anything, any punch to the dialogue. Um I don't know whether that's Rogan, you know, improving in the studio or something like that. Um so it's like I feel kind of like a jerk. Like when I hear somebody talk about how much they love something and then I'm coming at it from this angle of like I I got to be honest, I didn't really find it that funny. Like, again, I found the Comic-Con stuff funny. Like, they go in and, you know, they see like a hundred Slave Leias. Like, that got a laugh out of me. (laughs) When they're walking along and Tambor's the jerk author, that got a laugh out of me. Um, And even at the, you know, at the end when they're throwing around, you know, uh, uh, Star Wars references and stuff like that, uh, you know, that got me. Um, but I just, I felt that it was a victim of trying to put too much in, um, and that's why it didn't resonate with me. I mean, I could see that, you know,
0: I mean, I think I've talked about this here. I know that I've talked about this, but one one of the things which I sort of always look for when I'm watching a movie for whatever reason, I don't know why, is, um, point of view, like perspective mm-hmm. and who's the main character. You know, and it's one of those things where like I I always do it and usually you can tell and I think part of it is just kind of like this perverse sort of like giving credit where credit's due thing. Like how come Bruce Willis's name is first on that poster when clearly he (laughs) is not the star of this movie? He, It's a supporting – or like when you look at the Oscars and it's like that's a lead role? That's not a lead role. That's ridiculous, you know? Right. And um with this movie I had a really hard time trying to figure out who the main character was, you know? And right. and maybe part of that has to do with what you're talking about where how it it kind of lacks focus and that sort of thing. You know, I I can see that, you know. It it yeah. doesn't have it doesn't have a standard perspective in a sense. Now uh,
1: uh, but I mean the thing is I again I want to make sure that I Like, it's clear. I'm not just, like, ragging on it because there were moments that were funny. Like, when he's uh, at the cafe and uh, he laughs because the two guys walk in laughing. We've all had situations like that (laughs) where, like, somebody's laughing. We're like, oh, yeah, everybody's having a good time. And you get that cold stare and you're like, except me. And I apologize (laughs) for intruding on your good time. Yeah. You know, we've all been there. So, like, there are moments like that that genuinely... You know, it hit the funny nerve. I just, I really didn't like the way they, they, did, uh, they did the actual alien, Paul. Really? Like, I, I just thought he was too crass. Like, he was so crass that I had no sympathy for him. You know? Like, he's, I, I'm supposed to, through this movie, feel sympathy for this alien and, you know, cheering for him. Yeah, get out. Get out of Dodge before they catch you and they put you back in your cold, dank cell and... You want to go home. But I did not see anything sympathetic about the character at all. I was like, you know, because he's just an a-hole.
0: See, to me, I, I don't know. I the, the impression that I got with that, I mean, and, and they do, like, even in the movie, they're like, he is an a-hole for sure. You know, like, even, like, the people who like him, they're like, yeah, you know, you're kind of a jerk. But we love you, you know. And, and sort of, I guess, the impression that I got with that and, and also... With the character in general and, and sort of my appreciation for him, if that makes any sense, like as a person, my feeling is that he his heart was in the right place. He was sort of like a genuine person. He just basically had no concept of how to deal with people in a polite manner. You know what I mean? Sure. And it's like one of those things where I mean, we all know people like this too, I think, where it's like Oh yeah. Y- you you become good friends with this person yeah. and you know you know exactly where they're coming yeah. from and you're on their wavelength and you can almost kind of like ignore them being a jerk, but like when you go out in public <laughs> with them, you know, they'll say something yeah. and you're just being like, "Oh my god." Because <laughs> you, you you know how that sounds to the person who they're saying it to.
1: You yes. You know what I mean?
0: I, I totally plugged into you there. <laughs> I, I hear you. And I, I mean, that's kind of the impression that I got of Paul. And, and I think that like they convey that in the movie in a sense. Mm. You know, there's times where like he'll just say something like flat out and, you know, uh, you know Simon Pegg and, and Nick Frost are like, uh, well, yeah, but, you know, maybe that's not the right way
1: to put it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, you know, one of the things that I, I think, though, is that, uh, you know, the movie could have benefited, and maybe this ties into the, the focus thing, is instead of having uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Seth Rogen, have Simon Pegg as the main character and then Nick Frost as the alien. Because I think that would have established better, better chemistry because we know that they have great chemistry together i think that it's entirely possible that rogan being inserted as a cgi character no less breaks up that chemistry and and makes it not work as well like, i really do think that it would have worked better if it had just been the two of them see to me like i i almost like, i
0: agree with what you're saying but i don't agree with the effect you know like to me having peg and and frost as as two friends you know two lifelong friends in this thing and having seth rogan come in and break that up essentially it which is you know mirrors what happens in the in the movie i think is is really quite effective and the fact that you know they do have such great chemistry and like we've we've seen you know these movies that they've done together and they've got a very specific sense of humor and everything like that and it's kind of in contrast to Seth Rogen like Rogen is kind of a wild card you know I mean I think I mean I don't know how much improvising was done on this particular movie but I'm guessing a lot because that's kind of like his thing Yeah, and to sort of like insert that it's almost like, you know, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are sort of like the pinnacle of British comedy in, in, in film right now, right? Yeah. I, you could argue. And sure. you could also argue that, you know, Seth Rogen and that sort of like stable of actors and, and, and writers and directors, the Judd Apatow school, is sort of yeah. like the pinnacle of American film comedy right now. I'm not necessarily sure that that's accurate but it's cert- for these purposes. I
1: no I hear you. I hear you. You know,
0: they're they're almost like counterparts and to have, you know, Seth Rogen especially since this is so much about culture clash, you know, and and these two British guys coming to America and basically, you know, like seeing it through their eyes and and seeing like you know, all of the weird quirks that America has that, that Britain doesn't have, you know, throwing Seth Rogen into this, you know, him being an American, even though he is an alien,
1: you know, it, it, it kind of hits the nail on the head for me. Okay. I, I, I hear what you're saying. It just didn't click for me. I just, I, for you, the gears meshed and mm-hmm. for me, they were just constantly coming up against each other and not locking together. And And I mean, I certainly feel smooth for me.
0: Yeah, and I've certainly, you know, experienced that with other things as well. I mean, if you sit me down to watch Monty Python, things are not going to go well, you know. It's... (laughs) It's... <laughs> Heresy. Heresy. It's just one of those things, What's you know? What's wrong with you? I, you know, probably a lot, but that's okay, right? <laughs> you know, and, and it, it, for this, you know, it, it did it did all click, you know, with me in, in that regard. Um, it's weird, because I would almost say, like, the, the weak link is, you know, Peg and Frost. Hmm. Like, they... I mean, not that they were bad by any stretch of the imagination, but everything else is so big and over the top and loud and crazy and american yeah (laughs) compared to their quiet little tea drinking you know it's interesting humor that they're almost like overshadowed and it's really weird because you see like this you look at the credits and it's like well who who exactly made this movie and everything and I went back and I listened to a little bit of the audio commentary, which has like a bunch of people on it, including Peg and Frost and their producer. And then, you know, on the American side, you've got, uh, you know, Greg Matola and Bill Hader, because I guess Bill Hader just shows up on every commentary, even if he's not in the
1: movie. (laughs) And,
0: you know, listening to the commentary, like they, Peg and Frost, definitely overpower the conversation, and I really get the sense that, I mean, maybe Mottola is just a quiet guy, but I really kind of get the sense that Matola was actually more of a kind of director for hire in a sense. You know, it's more Peg and Frost's movie directed by Matola, mm. kind of
1: like he would direct an episode of television. So was there a point where they tried to get Edgar right and he couldn't free himself up? My- See, I don't know. That's that's
0: a weird thing. I My guess would be no, because I think if you track it, and I could be totally wrong on this, but if you track it, I think that right now um, Edgar Wright would have been making Scott Pilgrim, right? And yeah. I, I feel like there might have been sort of like a separation there. And I know that like, Edgar Wright made a big deal with Scott Pilgrim about how that was his first American movie. And how he very specifically did not want any British actors in it or anything like that. He wanted to make, you know, his version of a, a Hollywood movie, an American movie, even though it was takes place in Canada. You know, yeah. um, so so that's why you have like Michael Cera and and you know all those people in it, and not Simon Pegg, you know, not Nick Frost, you know, and, and he he wrote it with uh, a different guy. Uh, oh, I forget the guy's name. He's in. Uh, He's in *Inglorious Bastards*. He's one of the. Oh, not Roth.
1: Ra- not Eli Roth.
0: <laughs> no, 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 um, not that guy. Yeah, uh, <sighs> Michael Bacall is is the is the guy. He he was in. He's in like all of Tarantino's movies. You know, *Death okay. Proof* *Inglorious Bastards*, all that stuff. And you know, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it just seems like he was definitely trying to to do his own thing. And I think that, you know, Peg and Frost were trying to do their own thing at this point in time too.
1: Oh no! I was—I was, I was going to say I haven't seen World's End yet. I'll be watching it, you know, for, for this, and I'll be very interested to see because my reaction to Simon Pegg without Edgar Wright is decidedly different to my reaction of Simon Pegg with him, and even without Nick Frost, it, it, like Run Paul, I would definitely say is better than Run Fat Boy Run mm-hmm. structurally. Pacing-wise, all of that, it might not have struck my funny bone, yeah. but I would have this playing in the background before I'd have Run, Fat Boy, Run coming yeah. up. And uh, so, I like, I'll be very interested to see if that spark that made me dig Peg in the first two comes back with World's End, because I, I, I just didn't get it here either.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, because, you know, the other question is, of course, you know... The, the flip side of that, like is Edgar Wright strong without mm-hmm. Simon Pegg too? And, you know, the, the evidence there is in Scott Pilgrim, you know? And I mean, there are people who love Scott Pilgrim, like nobody's business. I mean, Marcelo from the talk film society, that's like his favorite movie, you know, like yeah. ever. And, but there are also people who think that that's, you know, kind of just this weaker side project that, you know, Edgar Wright did. and, it's it's weird because, you know, now with the Cornetto trilogy being over with, the two have kind of gone their separate ways. Not to say that they won't make anything together again in the future, but certainly right. it's not like you've got, you know, this epic trilogy, which is, you know. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's – I I just – I guess I don't really know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I you know, I, again, I'll just – I'll be interested to see because, you know – uh, Peg that spark comes back when he works with Abrams or on an Abrams project. Mm-hmm. I think, like, exactly. uh, you know, like as an actor, yeah, as yeah. an actor, he's got that energy back to him. So I wonder if it's just—is there something similar about the way Abrams interacts with his actors to the way Edgar Wright does? And maybe what I'm picking up on is somebody who's not rea- who doesn't have the same chemistry with Schwimmer or uh, with, with Matola. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe they don't know how to direct him, you
0: know. They yeah. don't know what 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 leeway to give him or whatever, and it's it's always interesting. I always find this, and I mean, this isn't really something that we've talked about yet, but it comes into play in particular with these two movies, Run Fat Boy Run, and and uh, Paul, where it's a weird thing for a writer to star in a movie that he's not directing Hmm. because there's that sort of like thing where the director is the guy who's in charge. The director is the guy who's basically telling the actor like what he needs to do in order to get through this scene. And yet that's a person who's telling the guy who created the scene what he needs to do. So it's like, what that's a weird relationship. You know,
1: yeah. Uh, you know, is it too much? Uh, is it too much character by committee? Then, if I'm tracking with what you're saying, like at the end of the day, is Peg left in the awkward position of, well, that's not really what I meant when I yeah. wrote it, but you're the director, so okay.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like I I heard Tarantino talk about this in regards to From Dusk Till Dawn because he, he wrote it and, and acted in it, but then Rodriguez directed it. Mm-hmm. And he said that, you know, he would be there on set and he very much wanted it to be a Robert Rodriguez movie and, you know, not, you know, just pull a George Lucas and sort of pull the strings from the background or whatever. And mm-hmm. he said that he would see like Robert Rodriguez talking to say George Clooney and trying to figure out a scene, and he'd be, like, eavesdropping, you know, listening to their (laughs) conversation. And he said that he would find it very interesting, and he'd go over there and say, you know, like, hey, I see you guys are struggling with this. I find it interesting. Do you want me to tell you what I was thinking of when I wrote this scene, or do you want to try to figure it out for yourself? You know? it's It's weird. It's just a weird
1: thing yeah I, I mean you know because it is and i think that the the lucas as producer um analogy is apt where you know because there's been all of that buzz in the press because he said nah, you know they didn't want me i didn't want to get involved because i would have tried to take over everything yeah like i i think that speaks to that of like the the writer has to feel a sense of ownership about everything and but at the same time has to be willing to give that away and that's that does have to be weird
0: yeah, yeah. But I guess it works for Peg. I mean, he does it all the time, even when the director is, you know, his co-writer um, or when, when he's not, but it doesn't seem to bother him. So, you know, yeah, good for him. And I, as far as I know, he's never directed anything himself. It doesn't seem like he has any desire to. Um,
1: uh, he will probably direct a, a large three-hour epic to rival Christopher <laughs> Nolan. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Actually, I mean the thing is, I'd I'd have loved to see more of this movie take place at Comic Con, whether it was them going there and like at the beginning, middle, and end of the movie, you know, space it out somehow where it's like the story takes place over a number of years or you know, whatever. I mean, it's a totally different movie at that point. But the thing is, that's that's really what I thought was the best part of the movie. And like I'm not familiar enough with the process. I mean, obviously the stuff when he and frost are interacting and talking about things uh you know having to do with the characters is scripted but how much of that came out of came out of matola uh you know in terms of what they highlighted and what gags they went with Mm -hmm. i imagine like on these things the editing
0: process is insane because i mean you hear about like with Well, Austin Powers, for example, like, you know, the first cut that they make of those movies are like three and a half hours long. And the idea is they just want to put in everything, every single joke, just so that they can put it in front of an audience and see what people laugh at and what people don't, you know, and then whittle it down. You know, never with the intention of it being three and a half hours, but just the idea is, you know, you put in everything and see what works and what doesn't, you know. And I kind of get the impression that that's how, you know, these people like the Apatow school, the Greg Matolas, and and, and those people, kind of how they, you know, work and which is why we get like unrated versions with like an extra five minutes of jokes (laughs) that don't need to
1: be there and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, Yeah, you know, there's uh, there was uh, I think it was Barry Sonnenfeld that said that the one rule of comedy that everybody should follow is just keep it short. Yeah. yeah you know tell the joke and keep moving mm-hmm yeah i I think that's true you know yeah it it's interesting
0: yeah, and speaking of the comic con stuff, there are an insane amount of geek references in this thing you know oh, yeah. whether, whether it's you know walking by you know a, a Klingon or whatever or speaking Klingon or you know having Paul sitting in essentially the warehouse from Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, doing a a phone call with with Steven Spielberg, like basically, you know, spitballing ideas for E.T. You know, I mean, the the references are deep. And I'm sure, just like with everything else, probably a lot of that they came up with on the set as well. But a lot of it had to be planned. I mean, if you're going to call up Spielberg to, you know, be in your movie or whatever, that's got to be planned out. Which, yeah. by the way, means that this fits into Vanilla Sky continuity. Just well, I thought everything did because it's S- spoilers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <I'm probably laughs> I just gonna... saved you all two hours. Uh, Thank uh, me. Uh, oh, I'm going to cut that out because Vanilla Sky <laughs> is awesome. I just, I just did an episode of the Talk Film Society where we talked about how awesome Vanilla Sky
1: is. <laughs> there's only, there's only one part of that movie, and I'll never tell. But there's a part where where it happens, and it's uh, it has to do with two characters and a conversation that they have. And I was like, hmm, that's a little familiar. But you'll never know what it is.
0: <laughs> okay. All right.
1: <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that. Um, there you go. <laughs>
0: it's an amazing movie, though. Um, not really. Regardless. Uh, yeah, but it, it's the, the references and everything like that, It you can tell that it's not like – a big bang thing going on, big bang theory right. thing going on where it's like nerds are cool and nerds like comic books, so let's talk about Batman kind of thing. Like right. th- this it, these are deep cut, you know, references and jokes and you right. can tell that the people making this movie are big huge nerds themselves. Yes. Which is awesome. Yeah and i think anyone who may be skeptical about uh how big of a fan simon pegg is which i'm guessing is not many people although there are probably a lot of people who think that he's just kind of like a poser or whatever like this movie is proof that he knows his stuff when it comes to star trek i
1: think oh yeah no the the well is deep with him absolutely uh, uh, and 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 i think you're right that the the feel is different when uh you know so to speak one of us makes the jokes as opposed to a TV writer just trying to get a credit. Yeah. You know, like, it, there's a definitely a different field of the joke.
0: Yeah. They, they work. They're funny. Yeah. So, I, I think that that's, that that's pretty cool. And that's one of the reasons, I think, why I responded it, to it so well, was because it, it felt like, in, in a similar way to, you know, Kevin Smith scripts, you know, it's not just like a Star Wars joke. It's a joke by a Star Wars fan. You know what I mean? I... You know
1: how I feel about Kevin Smith, but conceptually, you know what I mean. Conceptually, I agree with you. Yes. Okay. <sighs> All right.
0: <laughs> well, any
1: any uh, final thoughts on? Uh, yeah, you know, Paul? I uh, I've I've spoken with plenty of people that share your opinion that think Paul is a, a great movie. So by no means should anybody take, you know, my opinion as a reason not to see it. If you haven't seen it, go ahead and give it a spin. Uh, you might love it, but it just didn't it just didn't hit it for me. But apparently I'm the oddball.
0: OK, yeah, I, I you know, it, it did hit for me The the more I watch it, the more I like it. Um, I think that after seeing it again this time, I, I'm, I'm going to sort of put it into my standard rotation which is not a real thing, which exists, unfortunately, because usually I'm just <laughs> trying to watch whatever I have to watch for whatever I'm doing next, you know?
1: You're trying to turn yourself into
0: Mojo from the X-Men. I don't even know what that means. But now, see, <laughs> come on. I grew up reading DC Comics, okay? I grew oh, up at a, in a time when DC Comics were better than, and, you know, peer pressure and whatnot. And There everyone was never the, a
1: time when DC Comics were better than Marvel. That's look, insane
0: everyone at the comic book store that i worked at thought that x-men w- was trash and i was basically um <laughs> shamed into not reading x-men comics in, that's in the that's mid-90s. a shame because
1: you miss, you missed the, the you missed uh arthur adams because mojo tied in the long shot and that's when we all met arthur adams is uh beautiful comic book art style I, d- I you know um i i do like arthur adams
0: but i i haven't read I haven't
1: read that stuff, so I'll give it a shot. Go back and just so you can get the joke I made two minutes ago, okay. you got to go over to Comicsology and read that run. I'll do that. I'll do that. You should. <laughs> I think so.
0: But yeah, no, I, I did. I did like Paul quite a bit, and I wish I, I just read that uh, at one point they were talking about doing a sequel, which they were going to call Paul's. Which yeah, I think is kind of great because aliens get it with the pl- and, but yeah they realized that it wouldn't make any money. So,
1: Yeah, I don't... I As much love as this gets, I don't think it... It didn't make its money back, did it? I don't I think don't so. You know, it's it, 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 an
0: R-rated comedy, you know, that comes out in, like, March. You know, it's... Yeah, it's it's a tough sell. Although, yeah. Ted, I mean, kind of the same concept in a lot of ways. And that thing was, like, box office gold, so... Oh, but the sequel bombed in it. No, well, there you go. Yes, then.
1: it did. So, did. A million, die, a million ways to die in the west bomb too.
0: Yeah, like, well million epically. ways to die in the west, you know. But Ted 2 deserves to be seen. If you're a Star Trek fan, watch some Ted 2. Oh my god. <laughs> all right. There you want
1: to talk about like deep cut references Ted 2. All right. Ted 2 for sure. I'll, I'll get around to it after I uh go through the library of all of the other things you've told me I have to see. <laughs> yep yep i know the feeling
0: you know <laughs> well it's been fun talking about paul today but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on trek fm this week so here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network
1: previously on trek.fm standard orbit
0: they just happen to come at just the right time right or just, just the, the, the right time. time for it to be dangerous like literally like not even like that day but like like two minutes before this <laughs> happens. Earl Grey.
1: Well, it does all those cloak experiments It deployed that communications array. Minefield. And the minefield for exploratory purposes. <laughs> Let's not talk about the defiant because you know it's just going to upset To the journey. What about Tommy? Tommy is a drunk and (laughs) he's drunk in the ready room meeting. His head's down, and so Jamie says, Tom, anything? Just not so loud. Commentary, Trek stars. You know what? See, the thing is now, if uh, Star Trek Beyond goes sideways in any way, you've planted that line in my brain. I'm like, I only got half a peg, (laughs) and I'm just going to trot that out if I I don't like Star Trek Beyond. The 602 Club. I, I remember
0: hearing... Timothy's on even back then, reading an article that he was listening to the John Williams uh, scores in his car as he was thinking all this through and, and making sure the pacing felt like it did with the music. So maybe it had to do with the certain music he was listening to. Maybe he was listening hmm. to a New Hope score at that point. I don't know.
1: Literary Treks.
0: I think we had between the three of us half a dozen or eight different springboards and they were written in such a way that they could have gone to either ship and crew it was like you know the Sagittarius encounters big blob in space or Endeavour encounters derelict spacecraft or I mean I'm being real surface here I mean the 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 prompts we provided in the Bible were probably just a couple of sentences long and it was just meant to say these are the kinds of stories we're thinking about women at warp so we went in and pitched and I have to say that was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. I have scrubbed in on brain surgery. It did not frighten me as much as go as waiting outside Gene Roddenberry's office, getting ready to go in and pitch to him. Meta treks. You're not going to see a bunch of Klingons hanging around, eating cake and and you know <laughs> laughing at uh, Well, Klingon unless too. it has unless it's a peptide cake with <laughs> mint frosting. A peptide cake, indeed, indeed.
1: And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Uh, one other way that you can help us out with this uh, here podcasting network is uh, to pick up some merchandise over on the uh, the Trek FM store.
1: Tis the season, Mike, to pick up that merchandise.
0: Yeah. Um, I just uh, bought a... Um, because cause they ha- were having, like, a Black Friday sale or whatever. Yeah. And I'm sure that they're going to have more sales as the season progresses, right? So I, I got a, a Trek FM sticker, which I'm going to make into a bumper sticker for my car, right? Nice. And then I also got um, a, a Monster Maroon t-shirt. As well you I'm should. Sorry, Maroon Monsters. I don't even Monsters, know the yes. name of my own team. <laughs> a Maroon Monsters t-shirt for myself, yeah. So, Excellent. Excellent. It, yeah, it's uh it's it's pretty cool. They got lots of great stuff on there. Uh lots of cool designs and everything like that. Uh you can get them as bumper stickers or travel mugs or t-shirts or hoodies. Uh and uh yeah, be sure to go check that out. Uh you can find it at trekfm.link slash trekfm store. So be sure to check that out. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's patreo dot com slash trekfm, you'll find all of our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com/trekfm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm/contact. You can also leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com/trekfm. We like voicemails a lot. We'll play them on the air. It'll be fun. Um, you can follow the network. On Twitter at Trek FM, or you can follow the network on Facebook at facebook.com Trek FM. Facebook is also where you'll find the Babel Conference, which is our listener forum. Uh, Just type the Babel Conference into the search field on Facebook and uh, you'll find it right there. John, where can people find
1: you on the internet? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. Uh, You can find me on another show called Words with Nerds that uh, drops on Thursdays and iTunes and all the regular places. Uh and you can find me doing uh some reviews over on showvote.com. Excellent. I'm all caught up on Rebels. Excellent. Excellent. My yeah. my uh I well, see I always get mixed up with uh with with timing on everything, but I'm I've been extremely pleased with the season and I'm very glad that they have uh renewed it for a third season. I feel yeah. that any problems there were in the first season have been corrected. And I really look forward to where they're going to take this show.
0: Yeah, I liked I liked the B-Wing episode a lot. And oh, Wings of the Master. Fantastic yeah. show. That was pretty cool. And um, yeah, I, I, I've heard, you know, like at season three, especially since it's going to be, you know, starting up right before Rogue One comes out. You yep. know, I, I have a feeling they're going to do a lot to kind of tie that in. I know that Gary Witta has said that he's writing an episode for season 3 and everything and he's of course writing Rogue One. So I like all the kind of stuff which is happening to sort of get to that place. I think that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, I think that they they are they are making some good good moves. But where can people find you, Mike? Uh you can find me right here on Trek FM uh doing
0: Standard Orbit for another 2 weeks. And you can also find me on um, CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary Track Star Babies uh, whenever I am able to, which hasn't been nearly as much lately, but I need to get back on that. And you can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K or you can find the show on Twitter at ComTrackStars or you can email us directly at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Before we go... We'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary Trek Stars and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the shows, books or whatever. That was I saying shows before.
1: Well, they do have podcasts on Audible. So okay. you can download uh some podcasts and uh and different magazine articles actually narrated by the authors. Yeah, those They have a whole bunch of stuff. And books. Yes. And uh
0: yeah, you can read them all all the time stop yeah. twenty four hours a
1: day that's right so play so it while you play it while you sleep and it, it it's like dr marvin monroe's uh tapes you will you will learn them in your subconscious yeah yeah uh so so whatever you got for us this week. Well, since Simon Pegg will be in an upcoming film uh, that people may have heard about called Star Wars The Force Awakens, Mm -hmm. uh, what we've selected this week is the perfect weapon journey to the Star Wars The Force Awakens. It's written by Delilah S. Dawson, and it's narrated by January Lavoie. There are plenty of mercenaries, spies, and guns for hire in the galaxy, but probably none as dangerous and determined as Bazine Natal. A master of disguise and lethal with a blade, a blaster, or barehanded, she learned from the best. Now it's her turn to be the teacher, even if schooling an eager but inexperienced recruit in the tricks of her trade is the last thing she wants to do, but it's the only way to score the ship she needs to pull off her latest job.
0: One of the three million books I have to read before December 17th.
1: Yeah, and actually Simon Pegg's character is somewhere – is not this one, but they are um, – He's going. his character is somewhere in this mix. He's You're not going to see his face on screen. He's going to be somewhere in this mix, though. And so it's sort of a guessing game as to who he's going to be. So um, it's like he might have been in one of the other books or something? He might be in one of the ones that, as the time we're recording this – has yet to be released. Wait, there's
0: more that are coming out before the movie.
1: Yes. Now, see the thing is what? perfect weapon is a short story. It's like yes. 60 pages long. Th- thank God. Yes. And these other ones are short as well. So, <sighs> but I think audible, I definitely think audible is the way to go yeah. because like who seriously, who has time to read? All of these things. Audible is the way to go.
0: No, yeah, I mean, this is for real. Like, I, you know, I'm reading right now. I'm trying desperately to get through this little tiny Servants of the Empire book, which I've been reading for the past, like, you know, five months because I, like, haven't had any time to actually read. But, like, we've got Battlefront, right? The Battlefront Twilight Company book. Oh man, that's right. Like I'm totally getting that. That's I'm getting yeah. that book on Audible and listening to it. And then there's all those those uh, you know, young reader ones that are introducing the things and all this stuff. And it's like I, I've I've been I've been walking to and from work every day, you know, and I'm like this is a forty five minute walk each way. I could totally get caught up on all this stuff, you know? Yeah, you could.
1: Yeah. Do it.
0: I will. Yeah. You should. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek Stars and the network. All right. Well, we are down to the last Simon Pegg screenplay. Only yes. one to go.
1: Only one to go, and I'm looking very forward to watching it. Because you haven't seen it yet, right? I have not seen it yet. All right.
0: Well, then next week, we will come back for the final Simon Pegg movie, The World's End.